0: Amen, good singing, good truth to sing about, and uh, I'm glad there is a place, there is somewhere, and I'm glad this is not just a dream or a pie in the sky, but thank God there's a reality, and uh, I bless His name. There's a place prepared for those that know Him, and thank God heaven is real. It's more real than the flesh on our bones and the air that we're breathing. It is more real and a place prepared by Him for us, all because of His amazing grace. I'm grateful and thankful. Again, we are glad you're here this morning. Good to see each of you, and thank God for this privilege we have to be together and to worship together. And as I have mentioned before, when God's people assemble, and come together it is a frail but visible picture to the world of a day when we shall all be together again after a while we'll depart and go our separate ways but then we'll return on the next Lord's day or the next appointed time and it's always a symbol that someday we will be together to depart no more forever and forever and that's because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this Lord's Day. I invite you to turn with us, if you will, or take your copy of God's Word and go with us to Matthew's Gospel this morning, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12. I'm going to be reading from God's Word here in just a moment, beginning down in verse number 30, where we left off last week and read down through verse number 37 of Matthew's gospel chapter number 12. If you will follow with us there in the scripture, the Bible says this was Jesus kind of his partial summation statement of what had just taken place where the Pharisees had had uh, attributed our Lord's power to cast out demons and heal. They had attributed that to the power of Satan instead of the power of God and the Spirit of God. And Jesus said in verse 30, He that is not with Me is against Me, and he that gathereth not with Me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men, and whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Either make the tree good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof, in the Day of Judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned." Words matter. You've heard that statement by politicians, you've heard that statement by lawyers, you've heard that statement by educators. And by a lot of different from a lot of different aspects of life. But in our text this morning, Jesus is saying, without any question, that words matter. Do any of you remember the first word you spoke? Some of us can't remember the last thing we said, much less the first, but. If you do remember the first thing you said, you are an amazing child, but if you do remember it, more than likely you remember it because a parent, a grandparent, a friend, or a sibling wrote it down somewhere in a baby memorial book and you've heard it repeated, but we do not remember the first thing that we say. We don't remember if we were alone, if we said it all by ourselves. How do our parents know that was the first thing we said? We could have said something when we were by ourselves and nobody actually heard it. It is a certainty, though, that Jesus knows the first word you said. And according to our text this morning, He will know and He does know every word that we say especially as our text reads in verse 36, the idle are the careless things that we say with our mouth, the words that we speak. Let me ask you another question that may be a little more closer home. Do you ever remember having spoken without thinking? Do you ever remember a time when you spoke carelessly, without putting any effort into the thought of what you were about to say, or the implications that what you said may actually have. If you remember that, and most of us probably do, the next question would be, who heard you? And who was affected by what you said? And then, are there any ongoing consequences, both temporal or eternal, that has come from the things that you said? As we continue this morning here in Matthew chapter number 12, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees' accusation that His miraculous power to heal, His miraculous power to liberate a man from demon possession and open blind eyes and loose tongues that they may be able to speak, He is, he is coming back to the Pharisees in response to their accusation that the power by which He did that was not from the Spirit of God, but was actually from Satan. Our Lord, as I mentioned last Sunday, used logic. He used common sense and some powerful illustrations about binding the strong man to prove again that God's kingdom, the kingdom that God had initiated, and the fact that the king was now here, Christ himself, God's promised Messiah, he was using this response to prove again that what he was doing was not from the power of the evil one, but from the mighty power of God that was given to Him and in Him through the working of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look a little closely this, more closely this morning to verse, uh, the first verse that I read there where Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. He that's not for me is against me in verse 30, and then how our Lord built upon that with His words about blasphemy and then his illustrations about the good tree, and the corrupt tree, and the good fruit, and the bad fruit, and then how each of us are accountable for the very words that we say, because words do matter. If you will, look with me at the text, because most most of the time when people come to Matthew 12, 31, they think this entire text is solely about the sin of blasphemy, and that's where most people give all of their emphasis. Well, it is in the text. We'll mention it in just a moment. But I want to call your attention to the fact that dominating the passage I read this morning is about the fact that words matter. You'll notice in verse number 31, he mentions blasphemy twice. And blasphemy is a verbal communication about something that you've concluded about uh, the Son of God or about the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 32, if you'll notice, the word speaketh is mentioned twice in that verse. In verse 34, the word speak and speaketh is mentioned again. In verse 36, the word idle word and the word speak is mentioned again. And then twice in verse 37, Jesus makes reference to the words that we speak and how the words we speak will either justify us or condemn us before God. So this text is about things that we say. It is about the verbal things that come out of our mouth, the words that we put together, especially in relation to Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit of God, and the work of the Son of God here upon this earth. Now remember, this entire section is about who Jesus is. It's about what He did. And it's about what the people and the Pharisees said verbally in response to what Jesus did. If you remember from last Sunday's message, whenever Jesus healed this, uh, this possessed man, blind and dumb, in verse 23, the people responded verbally, and they said, Is not this the Son of God? Then in verse 24, the Pharisees did the same thing. And they said verbally, This fellow, speaking of Jesus, doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what actually motivated them to say the very things that they said. And Then again He says to us in verse 37, That it will be by our words that we shall be justified or condemned. And so their words were so important that Jesus says, And He says this in the text, in verse 31, that there are some words that a man may say that are forgivable. He says there are some things that a man may blaspheme against the Son of God, and those things are forgivable. But then Jesus said there are some things, depending upon what you say and about whom you say it, Jesus said, that are unforgivable. Before we get into the heart of the text this morning, I want you to listen to these passages from God's word in regard to our speech and to our tongue. Proverbs 16:24, the Bible said, "Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones." Proverbs 18:21, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof." In the New Testament, Paul said in Ephesians 4, 29, speaking to believers, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And then that passage in the book of James that we are familiar with, James 3, verse 5 through 10, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and birds, and serpents, and things of the sea, in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind." But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Listen to Paul's words to the Romans in Romans 3, 12, talking about sinful man. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Romans three twelve through 14. That is just a selected few verses that I picked out of the Word of God from the book of Proverbs and a few in the New Testament, just to remind us of the power and the potential of our language and our tongues and the very words that we say. I know that, I hope you realize today that we are living, we are living in a day, we are in a culture, in a time when words are more readily said, spoken, and read than in any point in the history of mankind. It is amazing how many words, as I'm preaching this morning, is flying through the air from one electronic device to the other, from one media to the other, how many words are are just moving through the unseen waves of the air this morning, people expressing their thoughts about everything from politics to religion to social issues to perversion to sinfulness, you name it, and words are flying today about all around our world about any subject that you can imagine. There's words being said in the midst of that, from people like Sunday school teachers, missionaries and preachers today and people are singing words that exalt and honor God. There are people who are using words to bless the Lord and to glorify His name and then words will be used, and they are being used right now, that are actually blasphemous in nature, and they are perverted, and they are profane, and they will use every kind of word they can to discredit the gospel and the good work of God's amazing grace. Words matter. What we say matters. The man today who at this very moment is using profanity in front of the store clerk does not understand that he shall give an account of that word, that careless word that he's speaking. He will give an account of that one day before God. The preacher now who has chosen to preach on social issues and felt needs rather than preaching the gospel, he will give account of God for the carelessness of His words. Those who take portions of the Word of God uh, to form their own opinions about salvation and what they think about eternal things, they will give an account unto God. Those who are preaching the gospel will as well. Those who are preaching truth will do the very same. Words matter. Look at verse 30, words in our actions. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. The word gathereth and scattereth, and the words with me and against me, those are action words. And what Jesus is speaking about here in relation to this context, He is talking about the man who is not verbally with me is Against me, the man who is not gathering through the gospel, but yet he is scattering people by other means, like the Pharisees were doing, whenever they said he is of the devil. Jesus said, Their actions prove that they are not with me, but rather they are against me. How do we gather with Christ? Well, we gather with Christ when we speak His gospel, when we proclaim the good news to those who haven't heard it. How do we scatter? We scatter by refusing to share the gospel or by using words when we do that question the truth of salvation and question the truth of the Word of God. When we focus and talk about temporal things and non-essential things like the Pharisees did in comparison to avoiding talking about eternal things, then we are scattering instead of gathering. Commenting on verse number 30, Southern Baptist preacher and biblical scholar, now with the Lord, A.T. Robertson writes, and listen to what he said, These Pharisees find out what a powerful opponent Jesus is by His parables by His sarcasm, by His merciless logic. He lays bare to the Pharisees their insincerity and the emptiness of their arguments. He goes on to say, Christ is the magnet of the ages. He either draws or He drives away. You don't get around Jesus and stay the same. He is, as Robertson said, the magnet of the ages. He either draws you to Him through His truth, or He repels you away from that truth. He doesn't leave a man in limbo. He doesn't leave a man in a gray area. And the Pharisees are finding that out. The people are finding that out. And it would do well for our day and hour to find that out. Christ, Christ will judge us. Our words and our actions cannot be separated by their words the Pharisees gave verbal evidence, back up in verse 24, they gave verbal evidence that they were against Christ. And by the way, you can be against Christ by being silent and apathetic toward Him, just like you can being verbal toward Him. So the question is, do your words and actions say that I am for Christ or I am against Christ? Words and actions, they they go together. I, I've heard all my ministry about people who claim they are silent Christians, and that's just an impossibility. People say, well, I'm a Christian, but I, but I don't want to ever express that. I don't want to ever say that with my words. By not, by not saying, Jesus said, we are actually scattering instead of gathering. But look, secondly, not only at words and our actions, but look at words and how they relate to forgiveness. These, these are interesting verses, verse 31 and 32. He says in verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Now in that verse, Christ zeroes in on the very words that the Pharisees had said, and He makes two statements about what they said. One statement He makes in verse 31 is absolutely amazing, and the second statement He makes in verse 31 is absolutely terrifying. They're right there in the text. First of all, notice what Jesus said, I say unto you. Now remember, they have just verbally said that what Jesus did was done by the power of the devil, and the Lord is not going to allow them to get by with that. You can't get off when you verbally say things about Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, what Jesus said in verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Most people read verse 31 and never even go back and think about that. Look again at what Jesus said. Jesus said, All manner of sins and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. I say amen to that. What a marvelous truth. Jesus is saying here that all manner, all manner, of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven. He said in verse 32 that if a man speaketh a word against the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, it shall be forgiven him. Jesus is saying if you blaspheme or if you take, say words against the Son of God, the good news of God's grace is that can be forgiven. That is what God is saying. That's an amazing thing. Notice he says there in verse number 31 all manner of sin. All does not mean every single sin, it means every type, every category of sin. There is no category of sin that Jesus Christ cannot forgive as a matter of fact you can even say things against jesus you could actually curse him you could blaspheme him and there is forgiveness according to the word of god preacher what does this mean it means that adam's disobedience listen to these different types of sin adam's disobedience was what forgiven Abraham, the great patriarch of faith, you know Abraham lied. You remember he lied about his wife? He lied. And you know what? God forgave that sin of lying. Remember Moses, that great servant of God? He committed murder, and he was forgiven. David, the man after God's own heart, committed lust, committed adultery, and he also committed murder. And what did the Lord do? forgave him of those sins. Manasseh, king of Judah, God said about him in the Old Testament that he was more evil than the evil nations that God destroyed. And yet God forgave Manasseh. Come to the New Testament, Zacchaeus, who had robbed people and taken from the poor. God forgave his stealing Saul of Tarsus, read what he said about himself in the book of Philippians and the book of 1 Timothy. He was a blasphemer. He said that. He blasphemed God. And what did God do? God forgave him. All manner of sin and blasphemy. What he's saying is every type of sin and every verbal sin that a man commits against the Son of God can be forgiven. It can actually be forgiven. Now, if you don't think Adam's disobedience and and Abraham's lying and Moses and David's murder and Manasseh being so evil, if you don't think Zacchaeus is stealing and Saul's blasphemy then let me just ask you this. Put your name, and then you fill in the blank after that. What did the Lord forgive you of? I want to tell you, there may be saints sitting in here this morning, but we were not originally saints. We were sinners. And by the way, about every sin that I mentioned right here, and that's just a few of them, about every one of them has been committed among this congregation that's sitting here this very morning, but yet there is forgiveness. The good news is this all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But, Jesus said, but. We'll look at that in a minute. Matthew 27, Jesus, Matthew tells us that when Jesus was crucified or being crucified on the cross, that both of those thieves, the word He used in the King James text is the word reviled. They reviled on Jesus. They verbally slandered the Son of God. You remember that? They railed on Him. But then Luke tells us in Luke 23, 39 that before Jesus died, one of those thieves said, Father, forgive me. He said, forgive me. And Jesus said to him, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. It verifies what Jesus said in verse 32. Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. If you're sitting here today and you've cussed Jesus, if we're sitting here today and you have profaned the sweet name of Jesus, if you have taken His name in vain, if you have said with your mouth that He's not the Son of God, I have good news. If you repent of that, thank God there is forgiveness. There is absolutely forgiveness. Every now and then we stand in this church and we open our hymn books or we sing from our heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There's a man who cursed the name of Jesus. There's a man who blasphemed the name of God. There's a man who was a slave trader, a man by the name of John Newton. But thank God for verse 32, Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. I don't care how vile and ugly you've been toward the Son of God, let me tell you how beautiful grace is. For everyone who will repent, for everyone who will confess their sin, thank God he will forgive. If you read Paul's epistles, and if you read the last chapters of the, of, the, of the Gospels and the book of Acts, if you read that, you have to understand, especially in Philippians where Paul tells about those saints that are in Caesar's household, those believers, I have to believe from the Word of God, and I, every, every, every uh, capable and qualified scholar that I read after agrees the same. Some of them soldiers that were there at the crucifixion, maybe even some that were there at the resurrection, brother, some of them got saved. Some of them believed. Some of them who were there carrying out those hideous things, and there were people there who mocked Him and reviled upon Him. Thank God the good news is those sins can be forgiven. I don't care who you are and where you are today, cry out unto Him for saving grace. Repent of everything you've said about him that's unbiblical. Repent of everything you've thought about him that's unbiblical. Because with words, Jesus said that whenever a man calls out, he can be saved. That's the amazing thing about our forgiveness. But look at the terrifying part of this verse. But there's a conjunction here. But when a man blasphemes, when a man takes words out of his own mouth against the Spirit of God, those words will not be forgiven. Jesus says in the second part of verse 32, "But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Whenever you say, like the, like the Pharisees had just said, that this power by which this is done is not, it's not of the Spirit of God, it's of the spirit of the devil. That's terrifying. If someone speaks a word against the Son of Man, the text says it can be forgiven, but if you speak WORDS against the Spirit of God, they will NOT be forgiven. Now, everybody always asks, what exactly is this blasphemy? Well, the, word, the second word blasphemy in verse 31 is the same as the first word blasphemy in verse 31, but you're wanting a better definition than that. Blasphemy, what, what is it? First in its literal root word, what the word itself means, it's slanderous or injurious speech. Sometimes people identify blasphemy with not being repentant. If you want to define it in one word, that's certainly part of what it would be. But Jesus is speaking here in this text, more particularly about the defiant, irreverent speech in which the Pharisees have shown the great work of the Holy Spirit is less than what it is. They've attributed that to the work of the devil. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's different. It's more serious than blasphemy against the Father or the Son. That's what our text says. Why is that? Why is that? It is the job of God the Holy Spirit to apply the work of redemption. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no redemption. Without the Spirit of God in the life of the Son of God when He was here upon this earth, men would have never seen nor would they have known that He was the Son of God. You would have never figured out that Jesus was who He said He was if the Holy Spirit had not illuminated that to you and revealed that unto you. Preacher, I think I'm smart enough. If I had read the Bible, I would have come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. If you had read this Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit of God, you would have come to no more conclusion that this book was nothing more than a Moby Dick fairy tale or a great writing like Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn. The only reason any of us know anything about the Son of God is because of the great illuminating work of the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God does not reveal the Son of God, no man knows the Son of God. And when these Pharisees stood there and said, He's doing that by the power of the devil, then they were blaspheming the Spirit of the living God. And there's no hope for a man in that situation. If the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus' identity so that that person comes to know that He is the Son of God and that person begins to suggest that Jesus is not the Son of God, then He's committed the sin that Jesus is talking about here in the text. The Hebrew writer said it like this in Hebrews 10, 26, and 27, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment, and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. That's a powerful, powerful couple verses. In every person's life, there is a time when he or she does not understand Who Jesus is. Every Sunday morning and on the second and fourth Sunday evenings in the month, we take the children in Sunday school and in their youth groups and whatever they're doing. And from the time they can, but even before they talk in the nursery, they are sung to and prayed in the name of and told about Jesus and about who He is. Now, no nursery worker, no beginner preschool. No middle school or high school teacher thinks within themselves, nor do I, that our verbal communication alone is enough to convince any of these children or young people that Jesus is who He says that He is. But we believe by faith that if we tell them who He is by the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit will do what He was sent here to do. And thank God He will reprove and He will correct and He will convince men that Jesus is who He said that He was. That's His work. Our work is to put the Word of God in their heart, the God-breathed Word of God, the Word of God that the Holy Spirit moved upon men to write. But every one of us knows it is the work of the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to mankind that Jesus is who He said that He was. So when these Pharisees said, what He's doing is not by the Spirit of God, it's by the devil. They have crossed a line that you can't uncross. They've went into territory that Jesus said you can't get back from. You're in an area where you're in deep weeds. Preacher, I've cussed Jesus this morning. Good news, repent and come to Him and call out to Him. Now, He shouldn't like He shouldn't with any of us, but thank God He saves people like that. He saves blasphemers like Saul of Tarshish, murderers like David, liars like Abraham, disobedient men like Jonah, who God said go one way and he went the other way. He saves people like that. He saves slave traders like John Newton and lets them write hymns that we sing about on the Lord's day. But whenever you reject the work of the Holy Spirit of God, you're in deep weeds. It's sad. The time comes in every person's life when he does not understand who Jesus is. And if you blaspheme Jesus during that time, that's forgivable, according to the text. But if the Spirit of God reveals truth to you, and you after walk away from that and trample that under your foot, brother, there's nothing waiting but judgment. And this is why it bothers me so much Whenever we see these so-called movings of the Holy Spirit in churches where they claim they're having revival, and the Word of God is never preached, and the Word of God is never taught, and yet people just respond to what they say is the working of the Holy Spirit... Let me tell you again where the Holy Spirit's going to take you every time He works in your life. He's going to take you to this book that He wrote, and He's going to reveal to you who you are according to this book, and He's going to show you who Jesus is according to this book. That's what He does. And when you get around anybody that gets away from this and claiming they're moving away from this because of the Spirit of God, that's a contradiction to New Testament Theology. How does someone blaspheme the Holy Spirit today? Some say you can't. Some say you can. If man blasphemes the Holy Spirit today, he does so by verbally expressing that the compelling truth of the gospel as revealed to him by the Spirit of God has nothing to say to him, and he wants nothing to do with it. And I submit to you this morning, we are living in that day. We are living in that day when the gospel is preached and men want nothing to do with it. Now, we're not living in a day when people don't want good services. Even in church, church, everybody wants a good service, but very few people want to hear the gospel. They want to know their sinfulness, God's holiness. They don't want to know that. And they don't want to know that there's only one person that can do anything about that, and that is Jesus Christ. Can I keep this very simple this morning? Look at your sinfulness through the Word. Look at God's holiness through the Word. And then tell me that you can do anything to make up that great gulf. No. You can't go to Calvary and touch or, or Sinai and touch that mountain. You'll die, brother. But thank God you can go to Calvary because grace is hanging at Calvary. And Christ made it possible to reconcile a holy God with an unholy sinner through the righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. If I could explain this a little better, I would. Maybe this illustration will help you. Think with me for a moment about Peter, Simon Peter. Peter, once the Lord saved him. And think about Judas Iscariot. Think about what they did. Peter engaged in a serious act of denial. What Peter did was, many people say, was blasphemous. He denied the Son of God three times. On the very night in which our Lord was delivered for crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus. Judas engaged in a serious act of betrayal of our Lord. Peter deserted the cause of a little while, Judas attacked the cause. Peter was later remorseful and repentant. Judas never shed a tear, and he never repented. Peter was temporarily disloyal to his Lord. Judas was permanently disloyal to his Lord. Peter was publicly restored by the grace of God. Judas murdered himself without ever having been reconciled. There's the outworking of two men and two hearts, both of which had engaged in serious sin, but none of which had been permanently, but one of which had been permanently hardened to the Lord. One of these was forgivable, the other was not because of what they did. It is serious business whenever a man hears the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented by the working of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and the Son of God, and he says, I want nothing to do with that, I have no desire for that, I do not want to be a part of that, he's on terrifying and dangerous ground. I could not begin to paint the picture if you had been on a slave ship and listened to John Newton curse and swear and probably drink and do whatever else sinners do, you would have probably said this heathen has no chance of ever being right with God. But whenever the Holy Spirit took the Word of God and convicted John Newton that he was a sinner unholy and God was a Savior that was holy... John Newton never spat in God's face, but bowed and repented and called upon the name of the Lord. Saul of Tarsus had the blood of saints dripping from his garments and was headed to shed more blood. If most believers, if most Christians had seen Saul of Tarsus, they'd have said, kill him. But what did the Son of God do? Forgave him. Because when the light shone out of heaven on the Damascus road, Saul of Tarsus said, That gospel is for me. That life is for me. For I am everything opposed to God, and He is everything that I need to be made right. Oh, sinner, listen this morning. Don't take lightly the gospel of grace. Don't take lightly the words you say about it and how you respond to it. Words and our actions. Words and our forgiveness. Could I just mention quickly, my time's gone, but words and our character. In verse thirty-three through thirty-five, Jesus gives a short parable to illustrate the truth that he's just teaching us. And here's the truth in a nutshell. You can just look at the text. The truth is, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And his point is to these Pharisees and to us: you need to make up your mind about him and about his work. Either you are evil in doing what what you do by the power of the enemy. Or you're good in doing what you do by the power of God. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, and I've heard him say it many times Jesus is either a liar, he was either a liar, he was either a lunatic, or he was Lord. One of the three. Thank God he's Lord. He was neither liar nor lunatic, but he was Lord. Our words reveal our character, the fruit comes out of our mouths. And our lives say more about us than any conversion experience we had at nine years of age. Let me say that again. What you're saying today and how you're living today carries more eternal weight than any conversion experience you claim to have had at nine years of age, or whatever the age. The glory of conversion is that Christ can take a rotten, corrupt, poisonous tree and change it to bear ripe, precious, and valuable fruit. You ever known him to do one like that? Thank God this tree here ain't much, but he did it for this tree, and I'm looking at trees sitting out here. Some of you know. Others of you only speculate, but some of you know. Had it not been for the grace of God, you'd have already been in hell. You'd have already, everything you have would have done been gone. But thank God for grace. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. How does Jesus do that? He does it with words. Listen Romans 10 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. When the Holy Spirit convinces us, convicts us, and changes us in our heart, then we confess that. The Pharisees are confessing what they're confessing because of an unchanged heart. Finally, look at the words. Words, not only words in our character and actions, in verse 30, and words in our forgiveness and words in our character, but look at words in our Day of Judgment in verse 36 and 37. What a convicting two verses. It carries a message within itself, but for what I want to say in closing this morning, Jesus tells us our words will be judged, and He's not specifically, specifically talking here about if you say something bad about your neighbor. About that, That's covered in other portions of Scripture, what our Lord is talking about here. He's saying, For by thy words, in verse 37, shalt thou be justified, and by thy words shalt thou be condemned. What we speak about Him, what we speak, what we text, what we post, what we communicate back and forth today, like we're never going to give an account to anyone. Read the text again. Jesus said, Every idol, the word idol in the King James text, it's translated careless Every unthought-about word that men speak, they shall give account of in the day of judgment. That's what Jesus said. Our words and our actions were either scattering or gathering. Words and our forgiveness. Thank God for forgiveness for the awful things we've said about Christ. But when we take the work of the Holy Spirit and attribute that to something other, to to Satan, to something other than what God said, Meant it to be, then there is no forgiveness. Words in our character, fruit will tell you a lot if you'll just look at what is happening, and words in our day of judgment. Words matter; they do matter. You wouldn't think you wouldn't think that to to be in our day and in our culture. There, there are so many blessings with technology, but. I get frustrated with some of my word processing programs, especially when I'm typing out, or typing out my manuscripts and I'm, I'm typing, and all of a sudden that bird brain computer thinks it can finish my sentence for me. So, you know, so it, it'll shoot out four or five words there. And every time I write a verse of Scripture, my computer tells me, It could be said better this way or it should be said that way. That statement, boy, it come up a lot on these verses. Because it don't like what's being said. Words flying everywhere. Every careless word that we say without thinking, especially in regard to the Son of God. That's why it's so important that children from the time even before, even before they're born. Timothy said his mother and grandmother taught him that they they had the Word of God. I don't have any trouble believing they read him the Word of God while he is in his mother's womb. They wanted him to know truth. That's why it's so important, because when the Spirit of God comes to convict and convince, He uses this Word to do it. Preacher, I'm telling my kids and my grandkids, and they don't want to hear it. Keep telling. Keep telling. His Word will not return void. His word will not return void. That's a promise. His word is not bound. Paul is in prison. The word's free. This word is not bound. It is free. God used words. He spoke to words. Man, I don't want to close on a bummer, but I, this just crossed my mind. You know the first thing man said? The first words out of man's mouth? About how good his wife was. Go back to read it. Boy, that's... That's bad, ain't it? Bragging on his, w- first thing come out of his mouth. Words are important. They matter. What are you saying about Christ? What have you said about Christ? What have you said today in a text, a tweet, a post, a twerp, or whatever, whatever you do? What, what have you said in all those things? Oh, well, I can delete those, and they won't matter. A- ask a politician. They come back very quickly. There's people today being paid just to take photocopies of your phone before you can delete them. Things you sin, seen. And then one day when you're wanting to do something, they'll say, you can't do that. You're a pervert. Here, you said this. But putting all that shallow, social, sinful stuff aside, what is it that we're saying today about Christ, about His Holy Spirit, about His Word, about His truth? Father, I want to thank You this morning for Your Word, Your Word, that You have given unto us. You're a God that speaks. Lord, You're a God that gives us the ability to know words. Lord, animals in Your creation, outside of man, Lord, they don't communicate like You made man to communicate in Your likeness. Lord, before the world was ever formed, You and the Son and the Spirit of God were communicating in glory, and Lord, You chose to communicate with us, and You gave us the ability to communicate with each other and with You. Now, Father, everyone sitting in this building today has heard, they have seen the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we've seen it with different degrees of understanding and different levels of maturity, different levels of wisdom. Lord, we all come from different places as we'll go back to different places. But I'm so glad the Holy Spirit of God knows how and knows when, Lord, to take the truth of what You've said about sinners and about Yourself and put that in the heart of sinners. And no matter who we are and what we've done, thank God there's forgiveness. But may we never speak, may we never verbally, consign or attribute the glorious gospel and the work of the Spirit in that gospel, may we never contribute that to any one or anything less than the sovereign, mighty, powerful work of Almighty God. Your work is glorious, high and holy, and above all. Now, Lord, anyone here this morning, anyone listening by other means today or in the days to come, If they have taken Your name in vain, if they have said publicly that Jesus was nothing more than a human being, if they have questioned Your Deity and Your Holiness, may they repent of all of that, and may they tell You they're sorry, and may they believe the Word of God and be saved. Thank You for this amazing and both terrifying Word. Put a seal and a guard upon our lips May we speak only those things that are edifying and truthful and those things that give glory to the God who wrought salvation. Thank you, Father, for being our Savior. Forgive us for taking this wonderful gift of communication and this wonderful ability, Lord, to learn words. Lord, we have learned more words in our life than we've earned dollars. You have have taught us how to speak. We thank you for that, and may we use that not to curse but to bless God And may the fountains of our tongue and mouth not send forth bitter, but sweet water. And may the things we say about you be sweet like the honeycomb. And may you be glorified. Oh Lord, I pray today, somewhere here, somewhere on the way home, somewhere at home, somewhere tonight, somewhere that you will hear a mouth confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And for all of us that have had that gracious privilege to do that already in our life, we thank You and we praise You and we give You glory. For it's in Your precious name we pray and ask these things. Amen.